Hanukon. 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 You're listening to Hanukkah Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Paige Willett and Adesh Nakas, Borewadme Ndao. I'm your host, Paige Willett, CPN tribal member and employee. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and rate us. During this episode, we'll hear tips and tricks for keeping family heirlooms safe, take a ride on an exciting new piece of equipment for CPN's industrial park, and visit an exhibit highlighting Sexual Assault Awareness Month. As tribal members, we all have art pieces and family heirlooms we love and hope to preserve for future generations, including pottery, photos, regalia, documents, beaded jewelry, and much, much more. However, we may not always have the knowledge to best take care of these items. Hanukkah reporter Mary Lever spoke with the collections manager at the Citizen Potawatomi Nation Cultural Heritage Center, Peter Kavorgius, to get some insight on how to start to take care of your precious possessions now. Mary, thanks for joining me for the show today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So to start off, what was one of the most important things you learned while talking with Peter? I guess the first important thing we need to talk about is kind of a disclaimer about traditional practices versus more modern practices. And Peter wanted to stress that our traditional practices, whatever we've been taught as far as taking care of our uh, heirlooms and our regalia, those methods are all highly valid and highly valuable. So uh, the information that Peter and I talked about, it's just intended to supplement um, you know what we might already be doing. So if you have a particular piece and an elder or a family member told you, this was a particular way to care for it, keep doing that. Well, whether you are using, you know, more modern or, you know, maybe some methods that were passed down through family, like you were talking about, it seems like what material the item is really made of determines maybe what the next steps are. Yes, with fabrics, uh, whether that be something like cotton or gabardine, you'll really want to pay attention to how you're either folding it watching those creases. In a lot of cases, you're probably just going to want to hang that up and make sure it's in uh, a safe and secure bag that is not going to allow pests to get to it. Uh, With your natural items like feathers, bone, buckskin, uh, the key there is avoiding pests since all of those items may still have some of their natural qualities about them, like eagle feathers uh, are keratin-based. So you want to protect those from any pests getting to them. Beads are made out of a pretty wide variety of items, glass, wood, uh, but generally gentle brushing and keeping them out of humidity because you want to avoid any mold or mildew getting to those items. Pottery and paintings, you really want to pay attention to how they're being cradled. Uh, You don't want them just sitting on a flat surface when it comes to pottery. Um, With your paintings, if you're going to, you know, pick them up and move them to a different wall, you want to make sure that you're handling those with care, uh, not particularly stressing any seam or corner area. And you're going to want to make sure that those aren't exposed to harmful UV light and that they're not in any temperature fluctuations or extremes. That's interesting about pottery, not, uh, you know, just setting it on a 
surface because you would think that that was totally fine. Right. Uh, You don't want it to just sit on a flat surface. It's actually very harmful to it. So you'll want to make sure that your pottery is cradled in something. The acid-free tissue paper or there's some other materials you can buy that archivists use to keep that pottery from just sitting on a flat surface. Um, You also want to make sure that what it comes into contact with uh, is not going to emit anything harmful. So creating a little barrier between where the pottery is sitting and anything that might be around it is also a good idea. Material like pottery, they do tend to absorb things that might be around them. Well, we talked about some differences. Are there any rolls that you found that were kind of the same? You know, one thing that kept coming up over and over again was acid-free tissue paper. So if you are going to wrap up something or use that tissue paper Uh, In between folds in a cloth, you want that to be an acid-free tissue paper. Avoiding ordinary cardboard. There's a special acid-free cardboard that you can order. Um, You can even order a box that's made out of acid-free cardboard. Cardboard being bad because it has a tendency to draw pests. Um, You'll want to avoid wooden hangers. Those tend to emit gas and other things that are not great for cloth materials. Um, avoiding uh, storage with wool. Don't want to wrap something very precious in a a piece of wool. Definitely avoid storing anything in an area like a garage where it's going to receive, you know, a lot of fluctuation in temperature. Indoor storage is really best. Let's talk about beadwork. Everybody loves their beaded jewelries and beaded regalia pieces and everything like that. Uh, So is there a best way to either care for it or clean it? Yes. In the event that you feel like your beadwork needs a little bit of a cleaning and, you know, after dancing all weekend at a powwow, it's going to happen. What you'll want to do is get a very soft bristle brush and very gently sweeping motions, uh, clean off any dust or accumulated dirt. You do not want to rub back and forth vigorously. You want to Uh, Do that as gently as possible. Uh, Also avoid those old-fashioned feather dusters. They have a lot of uh, materials in them that you don't want to transfer that to your beadwork. So whether that feather duster already has dust or dirt on it, a soft bristle brush or a cloth microfiber, slow sweeping movements. What about some of those things that uh, we wear sometimes maybe only, you know, a few times a year or a few times a season, um, like a regalia set? What's the best way to maybe go about storing that? With your regalia, you'll want to make sure that it's clean before you get ready to store it. And then when it's clean, you can carefully fold it, taking care to put acid-free tissue paper in between those folds. Or if it's not too heavy of an item, you can hang it up on a padded hanger. But with something heavier, uh, maybe a jingle dress, you'll definitely want to fold that. Um, With heavier items, Peter had pointed out that that can place a lot of stress on the seams of the item if you're hanging it. Don't want to let gravity take control of that. Exactly. You know, we have other pieces that go in our regalia sets, though, and other really culturally significant like sacred items maybe like fans um free feathers for praying or roaches stuff like that what about some more of those more sacred items 
We want to make sure that when we're handling those, we're either uh, wearing cotton gloves. It's also possible, Peter said, to just have extremely clean hands. Uh, You can preen those feathers into place and then put them in storage. If they require a little bit more care, again, the very soft bristled brush, long, slow, gentle movements to clean those off. And then you can place those in the acid-free storage boxes, or uh, you can also wrap them in something like linen or muslin and then put those away. Did you learn about any cleaning or maybe storage practices that used to just sort of be a given that we should really be moving away from, especially, you know, we're talking about regalia, feathers, beading, things like that. One thing that Peter made really clear was, and it's changed over the years, apologies to many of our grandmothers (laughs) who swore by this, but we probably want to avoid using mothballs. The way Peter described them was they are a chemical disaster. So we definitely want to get ourselves away from using those. And he's right. They do contain a lot of chemicals. You know, if you're going to uh, look for something traditional, he, he said, you know, cedar, tobacco, those are, are good options. But keeping in mind, those are natural items. So you do want to check on that item frequently and make sure that pests have not been in the area or been in the storage container where you have it. What else are some tips and tricks on things to avoid that, you know, we really might not be thinking about when we're going to store something? I think for many years, and I know I'm guilty of this, uh, just grabbing a cardboard box, a shoe box, you know, whatever might have been on hand to put an item in uh, for storage later. Uh, I found out from talking to Peter that cardboard is actually uh, can be very harmful to items like eagle feathers because Pests are just naturally drawn to the cardboard. Fortunately, there are a lot of things that are available these days, readily available, craft stores, uh, online, other retailers. um, They sell the acid-free tissue paper, acid-free storage boxes, and just any kind of size you could imagine. There are a lot of options out there. People receive a lot of heirlooms, unfortunately, after someone walks on or, you know, accidents sometimes happen with them. Uh, We're all human. What's a good way for someone to maybe get some help with that? Well, if it's a relatively minor stain or mishap, you can use a quart of distilled water and two to three drops of a gentle washing liquid such as Dawn and attempt to spot clean. If uh, you discover an item has more extensive damage or you're not really sure how to repair it, you can definitely give them a call at the CHC. They are absolutely available to answer any questions, um, take a look at the item, or even if you just want to send them photos, they can take a look at it, tell you either what you could do to attempt to repair it, or they can put you in touch with someone who is experienced in repairing those kinds of items. Uh, He was very clear about do not attempt to repair it yourself uh, if you don't have experience in that area. Um, He just wanted me to pass that along, that they are always available and happy to answer any questions. Well, thank you, Mary, for teaching us some about how to take care of our most precious items. Absolutely. We want to be able to pass those down to the next generation. 
Find out more information about the Cultural Heritage Center and view its archives, read history, and take a virtual tour of the museum at PottawatomieHeritage.com. You can also call the CHC at 405-878-5830. And then the first piece of equipment we got is a heister, and it's a container handler. Uh, Vivi named it Harry. So we got Harry, the heister, and then we got a great big forklift, about 55,000 pound, which uh, Courtney named it. Uh, Jolene, and then... Uh, Transload uh, facility manager Randy Story can recall all the names given to the big machinery purchased for Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Iron Horse Industrial Park throughout the last few years. Earlier this year, Iron Horse added another piece of equipment essential to the operation of the industrial park, a train to help move product from truck to rail and around the facility. Director of Economic Development Dr. Jim Collard said the purchasing and refurbishing of a train has been in the works for years, and now that it's here, all the effort has paid off. Well, as part of an industrial park, there's certain things you need to have available in order to be an industrial park. And um, when you have rail, uh, transloading is a natural addition to that. It's no question but that it's already increased our marketing ability for the park by providing services that most of the uh, customers need. You're now inside of a 1954 switch engine. Uh, like I said, this has all got brand new components in it. All this is all brand new. On both sides, all new controls. Uh, up to the 19 or 2022 standard. So it's not the old, old 54 model remote control stuff. So uh, anyway, we'll uh, turn some switches on here and we will get ready to fire Linda up. A switch engine is a little bit different than just a regular locomotive because a switch engine has got big air compressors in it because the way you uh, lock the brakes and unlock them is with air. So when you're moving around a lot of cars, you gotta build a lot of air quickly. And that's what a switch engine does. We are priming it right now, that big diesel, it's 12 cylinder. So it takes a little bit of a prime to prime it up. So you go out and you drop four or five or six cars or even 50 cars, you, you have to air the brakes up before they'll ever move. And it's gonna help us a lot uh, time-wise, you know, moving cars around because it builds air so quickly. Oh yeah, you feel the power underneath you right now, you know, I mean, the horsepower. 1,200 horsepower, and it could handle, depending on what's in the rail cars, it can handle probably 50 cars, I would think. But each car can hold up to 265,000 pounds. So if you have 10 or 15 of those, you're pulling quite a bit of weight. So, but it's, it's made for that and being able to stop it. That's the biggest thing. Uh, the wheels are generated off a of generator. 
uh, once you get moving, your really your power comes from your wheels. It turns a generator. So really the the engine, all it does is just kind of get you going. Fires up the generator, but once you go down the track, your engine just idles, and all your horsepower comes from your generator. That's why the locomotives can get so much better fuel mileage than trucks and, and like that. So, right inside the front of here is 600 volts electricity. So that's what runs the really runs the whole locomotive is a generator. If you don't have nothing to move your cars around, you really don't. Uh, hadn't gained a whole lot because you got rail, but you got to have somebody else come in and move your cars around. So if we're, we can do all this in-house, that's just a lot better for the industrial part. Okay, we're going back. Well, it's gorgeous, of course. <laughs> uh, Multicolor. Uh, the logo was uh, took quite a bit to develop. And then um, team effort, a lot of people involved in the process. We're real happy with it. It's very distinctive. I would say it was a lot of the tribal colors, and you know, with it, with the red and the white, and uh, it's kind of our red, you know. Plus, we got the the white and the yellow, and so that had a lot to do with the chairman too. He placed a lot of that on there because of the colors, and it turned out really well. We uh, name our major pieces of equipment. Uh, that's pretty common in uh, businesses that have heavy uh, equipment. And so um, this train was named Linda. Uh, the chairman, Barrett, uh, named it Linda after our vice chair. That's appropriate because she's the vice chair. She's the leadership. We got really lucky because it was in Oklahoma. You know, yeah. uh, that was the biggest thing because uh, if you buy something like that out of state, it may take you six months to even get it here. It's built to last uh, indefinitely, and it was paid for by the federal government. So it was a nice grant from the Economic Development Administration. We had our inner uh, housing people, you know, draw it up. You know, we got the iron horse head on it. The rebuild um, consisted of complete rewiring uh, all new internal uh, mechanisms within the train. The undercarriage stayed the same, but it was in good shape anyway. And right here we can go all the way to the Translope facility. And then there's a switch up here that we can turn and go to our transload facility and over here at our pad right here. And then we can unload any rail car that we need. Our next goal is to, uh, you know, just get more rail inside the park for uh, big manufacturers to be able to use. We got a lot of different size uh, projects on the table right now. It was um, a transformational moment for the for the park for Linda to arrive here uh, because it's really increased our marketability, not only the transloading facility but the entire park. Well, when you anytime you fire up a big piece of equipment, you know I don't care where you're from, it's just I don't know what the words to explain it. It just I guess it just gives you a little thrill or something. I don't know. Anybody that drives tractors or even races. Check out Iron Horse Industrial Park on Facebook and LinkedIn, as well as on the web at ironhorsecpn.com.
Victims of sexual violence often hear that their clothing somehow caused the assault. They get asked, what were you wearing? Or what did you think was going to happen? Citizen Potawatomi Nation's House of Hope partnered with Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee, Oklahoma to stage an exhibition titled, What Were You Wearing? CPN House of Hope domestic violence prevention specialist Kayla Woody hoped to change public perspective and decided to take a different approach this year when recognizing Sexual Assault Awareness Month. We needed to plan an event to bring more awareness to the community um, because awareness equals prevention. The House of Hope worked with OBU's Normalize No Sexual Assault Awareness Group to gather survivor submissions from around the greater Shawnee, Oklahoma community. They described what the victims were wearing during their assault. Both organizations then put together clothing donated by Cinderella's consignment of Shawnee, displaying the outfits on mannequins to recreate the submissions. Woody said these types of visualizations, quote, grab your attention. I feel like this is a really good way to visualize what's going on with sexual violence because this is a really taboo topic and sexual violence is something that is hard to take in. This is a safe way um, to really express what's happening. And again, I feel a safe way for survivors to use their voice because speaking out when you've experienced something like sexual violence is such a healing thing. HOH placed the exhibit inside the university's Geiger Center Along the hallway, many students and community members pass through while grabbing food or making their way to a class or meeting. Woody said the purpose was to dispel sexual assault stereotypes. Clothing has nothing to do with the violence that they're experiencing. There's never an excuse for that. Um, And I think what's just so impactful from the submissions that we received from survivors in the area, most of the stories, the clothing is just everyday clothing. 19 survivors submitted short descriptions of the clothing they were wearing, each of which hung above the mannequin that displayed their outfit. The majority of survivors described wearing t-shirts and jeans or sweatpants and hoodies. Woody's mother, Brenda Kelly, felt compelled by the message. I think that this entire exhibition makes a huge statement. When you walk in the room without knowing what it is, it might seem insignificant. But when you stop to read the cards above each outfit, it will bring you to tears. And I hope this message gets out to all the right people. Submission stated some were as young as four years old, wearing a children's tank top swim set with pink and yellow flowers. Renee Clements is the executive director of Shawnee's Project Safe. She found the kids' mannequins most difficult to take in. They were minors when they were first assaulted, and some have experienced ongoing assault that they mentioned. That's just heartbreaking, and it's so sobering. The other thing that strikes me is that it doesn't matter what you're wearing. Sexual assault is not about what's on the outside, the clothing. It's about power and control and somebody taking advantage of someone else. University students and the community viewed the exhibit and also had the opportunity to leave anonymous comments, encouragement, stories, and feelings and pin them to a sharing board for everyone to see. 
messages like, We believe you. Keep on fighting. It is not your fault. I believe you. I see you. You are perfect as you are. You are strong. You can do anything. Woody wanted to create a point of hope in an exhibit addressing a difficult subject. You have to take every day and just take self-care and remember that there's a positive side of this and there's a reason why we're doing this. To really bring healing to those who've experienced it, but also to stop it from happening. If you or someone you know is experiencing stalking, intimate partner violence, and or sexual assault and would like more information, please contact the House of Hope at 405-275-3176 or visit them on Facebook by searching CPN House of Hope. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Please click the subscribe button and leave us a rating. And share the show with your family and friends. You can find CPN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Potawatomi. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T. OMI.org. Megwetch Nikanek, Mamamina. Thank you, friends. See you later.